Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Scumbags, this is the Scummy Mummies Podcast, with your hosts, Ellie Gibson and Helen Thorne. Hello and welcome to the Scummy Mummies Podcast, it's me, Helen Thorne. And it's me, Ellie Gibson. And today I'm very excited, because we have the wonderful Io Akinwaleri. Oh my goodness, thank you so much, I'm so <laughs> glad you got the, my surname right. <laughs> So it's many people practice. butcher it. It's amazing. Oh, Thank you. I was you. so nervous. Was like, <laughs> I was in my mouth. I was like, but she had a little practice. I was like, no, don't offer to do it. Have faith in her. Show faith. Show faith. And oh, guess what? She pulled off, through. Mate. Pulled through. Well, that's Stop. the podcast done. Thanks so much. <laughs> Lovely time. My work here is done. You do the talking now, people. I've, I've peaked. <laughs> <laughs> so, Io, tell us about you. Now, mm. I could introduce you, but I would be here all day. Yeah, all mad, the amazing... You, I mean, you're peaking at the moment, man. Yeah, it's kind of mad, isn't it? Like, um, So, where do I start? Um, uh, a broadcaster, a bit of a polymath, actually. A broadcaster, uh, run a production company. Um, we also run another business, which tries to instill like, cultural intelligence into businesses. And then uh, my, one of my favourite things to say is I'm a world record holder as well. Are you? Just dropping Are that you? one in there, early podcast. <laughs> Should we start the podcast now? Yes. No. Oh, <laughs> so it's mad. I'm still the only person to have swam across the deepest stretch of ocean in the world, which is 11 miles deep, and it was five, five miles across. Did you have armbands? Are you mad? <laughs> I would not do that I would love armbands. to see Mr Guinness going, um, yeah, uh, to, to do this world record, you need armbands? No. It was I like was on a giant proper, pink yeah, Exactly. <laughs> Doggy paddling across it. No, it was That's um, amazing. How yeah. long did that take you? Three and a half hours, roughly. Three and a half hours. Well, let me see your world record <laughs> for swimming across a big fucking ditch or whatever the fuck it is. I don't know. Oh, I did a bit of swimming for a few hours. Well done. I'm going so to I'll... David Lloyd later. I'll probably do four hours. A man jumps in water, basically. <laughs> I am a Guinness World Record holder. All right, drop it. Where I we hold the world record for the longest time spent playing Power Wash Simulator on the PlayStation 5. <laughs> yes! Guess how long I did that for? Uh, 10 hours? 24 hours! You're joking six me! 6 minutes and 33 seconds. So you sit here, come at me with your half, three and a half hours. Here's I've world done record. my rec- world record for literally, what's that, Helen? What's the maths? Five, six times longer yeah, yeah, than but, you. Well, I Admittedly, that. I didn't have to leave my house. Eight, eight times. But that's but right. eight times. But I tell you, your fingers got a workout. 
might listen. And that Lara Croft's mansion was clean as a fucking whistle. Let me tell you, there was not a speck. What we what saying, Helen? Can you add something to this? Can you, uh... No, no, I, I, I'm choosing to stay right out of it. No, that's very, that's very exciting. Was it, was it nerve wracking? Yeah. Were you like, no, I can do this? I got. No, nah, it was insane actually. So like a, a deeper story. Sorry about the pun. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, to, to why I did it. So like, so in Britain, like literally. If, you, if you're an ethnic minority, you're three times less likely to swim compared to white people. It's actually just a fact. Like, culturally, swimming in the Western world is a very white thing, right? Um, so, for me, I was on Blue Peter at the time. I got to the age of 28, realised I'd never learned to swim. And here, here we are, you know, the hosts of this show, inspiring young people to push themselves beyond their limits and whatnot. And uh, I realised that, you know, I was genuinely petrified of the water. So, you know, in, in true Blue Peter style and fashion, I was saying to my producer, you know what? Um, I've been jibbing out of it for so long. Like, we, we, I remember when we went to Turkey and my colleagues were swimming across the Bosphorus. They went, why can't you swim? I was like, I'm just not into it. Threw a massive hissy fit. They were like, no, it's fine. You can sit on the boat. Um, really, <laughs> genuinely, I was, I, was, I, was, I was shit scared of the water. Um, really? Yeah, it's a real thing. It was a real thing for me. So my boss was like, look, no one has ever swam across the deepest stretch of ocean. So if anyone doesn't know, like the Mariana Stretch in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, it would I would have to swim five miles. Um, but not just that, I'd had 10 weeks to learn to swim prior to that. So I just had to get my shit together and do this world record. Sorry, we're just picking our jaws off the yeah. floor. Yeah. Wow, wow. So, so that's such that... a better backstory, <laughs> to be fair. I wish I could sit here and go, historically, of course, um, white people have not played for the ocean. <laughs> That. And then there's lots of socioeconomic reasons. How do we readdress that yeah. white people need to play more computer games? So what I did was a 24-hour... <laughs> you know what I mean? All wetsuits. Um, but, like, you know, it, it was insane. It was probably one of the greatest things I've ever done in my life, really. Like, ah. And what was most beautiful about it was that you start to learn mentally and you know this about your marathon running and stuff what how far you can push yourself mentally and the fear of starting is always the hardest bit Mm. once you get into it the first few weeks are always going to be shit still going to be tough and then when you start seeing that progress Mm. you're going oh my god like this six weeks ago Mm. i could barely stand in the shallow end yeah and look at me now doing yeah. like 25 metres in a swimming pool. And then you start adding it one by one. And if I'm honest, like the, 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 I had to get it done because there's nothing better than getting you to do something. than Someone showing a camera in your face going, yeah. Yeah. you need to get this done. Um, and I also realised actually through doing it, which is so beautiful, how many people in Britain can't swim like mm. i'm talking adults i'm talking people in their 40s 50s they never really learned to swim or afraid of the water and that, not just ethnic minorities that stretched across like white people could look i mean there are millions of people in britain that genuinely can't swim which and why baffles is it, is, me is, if you, like, yeah. what are the things when people say well is that a socioeconomic thing is it a cultural thing or is it, or is it, it all the things half, half i mean it, it's it's bigger than just one thing um I, you, you hit it there it, it's a it's a bunch of lots of things like so i grew up in nigeria and you know as a immigrant family come to birmingham in 1990 like you know my parents weirdly can swim but it wasn't really anything we did as a family mm. but also I realised that my mom's fear of the water sort of passed on to the kids like my, my parents now live in Florida never been to the city like it's, it's hilarious Florida has some of the best beaches you know in the world my parents have never never been so it culturally wasn't something we did and if you think about it realistically like you know I mean 
it's a real cultural thing that British people, if you're middle class or whatever, you manage to go on holiday, centre parks or wherever, yes. you know, you go, you lounge around the pool, you lounge on the beach, you go for a little dip and you come back. I mean, I'm not tanning anyway, so like, <laughs> I ain't going to the beach. You know, it's just yeah. not a cultural thing for us. But even though across Africa, I mean, you can look across the African coast, fishermen, you know, the, the list goes on. The relationship with water with black people it go, goes far back as you know the ancient days, but the idea of recreation and swimming wasn't really a thing. I mean, look at the Olympics. When do you ever really see like the key African swimmer who's the one creating world records? The African swimmers you do see are usually the small ones. You know, as a culture globally, we're incredible at so many different sports. Why not swimming? And then you break it down. You look at America, you have this segregation thing with swimming. Um, pools weren't open to black people in America. Um, white people owned a lot of the pools and then segregation dropped and then a lot of the white people created private pools and the public pools lost funding. So black people ended up not really swimming in America for many of those reasons, socioeconomic as well. And black people didn't have much clout for so many years. South Africa, exactly the same thing. You've got a whole country in South Africa where you've got a small white minority who control the pools and then you never really created many South South African swimmers. So this is whole, it, it basically changes globally wherever you go. In Britain, because Britain doesn't like to talk about its past, it's very hard to find that data. But I think there's a real socioeconomic issue attached to it as well. Like, um, we were just talking when I came, like, you know, there's uh, there's two pools near me. There's one that's five quid or so. There's another that's 11 pounds. And these are two wonderful Lidos. Mm. Um, open water, um, open air, sorry, well heated, really beautiful. But you know, you're a mom taking a family that's like 15 quid before you've ever got in the water. If you want to go to the park, have yourself a little meal and kick the ball around with the kids, that's so much cheaper. Yeah. And swimming really in this country is still a thing that you have to do if you've got a bit of cash behind you. And if I'm honest, the, the, the swimming audience is very white and middle class for that reason. Um, we're still trying to figure out how to change a lot of those things. But for me, the, the entry point into swimming is really, really key. Re revising how we do it at schools because you know the thing is there is school swimming mm. but a school doesn't have to spend that money on swimming mm. it's not against the law yeah yeah so if a, if a, if you're if you're, a, if you're a school in a, a lower economic area what's more important to you books other bits and bobs or you're going to take this bunch of kids swimming it's mm. a fund that's there for swimming but you don't have to spend it on swimming and there's nothing by the government to say blah 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 you need to learn to swim mm. what really baffled me is that i, I met um i met this uh a somalian a woman years ago when we were just talking about swimming and she's like i can swim i was like okay you know there's like a stereotype of black she's like yeah i grew up in denmark i was like all right tell me more she's like so the danish government have it that if you leave school and you can't swim there is a special fund in place whereby people can learn to swim for free and so it means you've got a population of people that are learning oh. to swim etc and scandinavians for, i've said I mean, it before think and about i'll it. say it again everything's better in denmark <laughs> The bacon, <laughs> the bacon, the economic equality, <laughs> the, the, the maternity leave, the and the swimming. Oh, the Lego. Apparently, the sperm is excellent. Is, is, it? Danish sperm is the, uh, is that is that not, the go-to? Yeah, yeah. I mean, as, as, how do you how do you know how this? Do you know this? <laughs> because because the, Dan the Danish sperm banks are. I'm not meaning to taste. I mean, like as in like. <laughs> I, I, my mind didn't go to tasting, <laughs> but thank you. No, but as in like the Danish sperm banks are the most popular in the world. That's the most highly sought after Why sperm. Why is that? Because, Why is because that? then you get um, a Danish baby. 
and, and they're, Does and everyone Danish want a Danish men, baby? The Danish men are very good looking and smart. Interesting. And, yeah. Uh, big hands. Obviously. Big hands, obviously. Yeah, yeah. 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 Very good. Are they good yeah. swimmers? Yeah. It's meant to be the happiest place in the yeah. world. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You want a happy baby? Happy you, sperm? Get, get it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, why? Is that, I, 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 no, you were saying something very profound. No, but I, I mean, like, I'm, I'm down with the sperm thing. Um, now, now I'm a virile world <laughs> record swimmer. FYI, if anyone needs it, just don't tell my girlfriend. I'm good to go. <laughs> but it is it is really interesting when you break it down like globally it's like there are so many different reasons I can only refocus on, on Britain and where mm. I feel like local authorities where I feel like government is lacking and that's the reality it's not just ethnic minorities it's a socioeconomic issue as well and it just so happens that a lot of ethnic minorities in Britain are in the working class like mm. that that's the reality of it you know a lot of immigrants in Britain are in the working class that's reality so you've got a twofold issue there you have to look at the structural issues as well like you know when I'm when I was learning to swim I'm looking around and I'm asking myself okay who is there that would inspire me to want to come to the water in in these beautiful pool 6am start I'm there training in Swiss Cottage which is an amazing bunch of young people but you know if if if, if you're a mom with not much money you haven't got that time to take your yeah. kids to the pool you haven't mm. got that energy you've got bigger things to think about so who, what what is there in that place to help people come to the water in that sense but also uh, I learned my I got my swimming coach badge about three years ago just because I wanted to understand structurally what's what the those barriers are so I'm a level one swim coach um, and I, I learned to train in in London and this is in South London and I'm in the pool and I'm hearing, and bear in mind, the black kids learning to swim in there. I'm hearing one of my swim coaches go, huh, you know, these black people can't swim. And I, and I, I just had to hold my mouth a little oh. bit. You went, it's, it's, it's not even worth it. Like, they're, they're, oh. they're, they just don't swim. And this is like three years ago. And I'm thinking, so you've already got that bias mentally within an embedded system. And I'm asking myself, actually, let's, let's even go back. At what point within my training to be a swim teacher... Has anyone spoke about the diversity of Britain? At what point within that coaching we had that conversation? Mm. And that there lies the issue because mm. you know you have culturally a lot of women, Muslim women, coming you know with a, with a hijab or whatever um, into the pool. You have a lot of modesty issues around the pool. We have a lot of body image stuff around mm. the pool. That's one of the things that actually stops a lot of women swimming is the body image thing, like and and a lot of men as well. Yeah. So none of this stuff is spoken about in swim teacher training nothing is spoken about it's like this is how you teach them to swim this is how you teach them to float blah 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 so i actually created a project um and i, I call it the swim challenge i wanted to demystify the fact that people of color can't come to the water um so i got a bunch of people of all different ages uh, i did it in 10 weeks and i wanted to reshape how you teach people to swim we need to open it up in a way that's actually interesting and fun. And that's what we did with the, the swim challenge. I said, look, if we can get these people to swim in 10 weeks, there needs to be some sort of reward at the end of it. And and for me, sport's about opening up horizons to people, right? So there's also a correlation between um, people of uh, various ethnicities never going into the countryside or visiting um, world um, British heritage sites. So I'm like, well, if how's, how's the reward sound like? If we can actually get you guys to swim, then... If you fancy it, maybe some of you will come do the open water swim with me. Honestly, yeah, there was yeah. this kid called Kai who'd never left London before. And I was like, and he's, he's a Man United fan. And we go up to Manchester where the Great Southall Swim's happening. And he's like, I've, this is my favourite. I've never, I've never left London. Mm. And I'm like, so if you can connect that with sport and give people an arc where they're able to see themselves mm. do sport and there's a need to do that sport, 
then you've got gold and people see themselves. They see a worthiness in it. Also, you realize that you go to these big open water events and I'm like, there's only like three or four brown people there doing yeah. it. You know, I'm, I'm going to do the Great North Swim this year and I, I almost guarantee I'll be one of maybe two out of thousands of people taking that on. So it's about for me reshaping those spaces, uh, re-understanding it and trying to bring communities together, really. Is there like a nod of recognition between you and the other brown person? All the time. The, you know the nod. You know the nod. You know the black nod. Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah, what are you yeah, doing? Yeah. Yeah. I got you. <laughs> my girlfriend does this thing. Like, my girlfriend's Chinese Vietnamese and like, we're just walking down the street. She's like, do you know that guy? I was like, no, babe. It's the black nod. <laughs> when I see another black person in a place we don't see many black people, it's like, right, I, I love you. Let's go. Yeah. I don't even need to know your story. Just acknowledgement. It's good enough. Yeah. yeah. And, and are you, do you... Uh, what's a nice way to say this? What? Are you a an open water wanker? No. Uh, do you <laughs> do you ins- are you one of these people insisting? He going, nodded, people. He nodded. <laughs> I'm shaking my head. I'm shaking my head. Full of algae and like it's not you know it's not real swimming unless there's a risk of botulism. Do, do you know? I mean, I've, I've yeah, these like diehard people just don't do it for me, man. Like, like <laughs> I, I, I like to keep it fun. Same as you. Like, yeah. I just like to keep it fun. Like, it doesn't have to be arduous. If I'm honest it's those like super like that's the easiest way of putting this uh, how can you put it lightly the, the diehard freaking open water is that stop wankers. people from, wankers. wankers that stop people <laughs> yeah. from doing it like yeah. you know oh how dare you then we should be wearing this kit blah 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 look it's about inclusion it's about bringing people it's about opening it up mm. first and foremost it's like the freest thing you can do open water so understanding the barriers is important understanding the issues around it is important but you know i'm not even asking people to Go for long swims. Just get in your waist. Get a feel of it. Understand it. You know it. You know you, it changes your view of Britain. Yeah. It changes your mind. Like and no, I, what what I try to do with mine is just try and like be have some fun with it. If I'm honest, it's it's really mostly bunch of middle aged white women that love open water swimming, <laughs> and like that's the reality. Yeah, that and, is the reality. And, and, and to be fair, like I have just called them wankers, and I've been awful now. But I, you know, don't as we always say, don't yuck someone's yum. Like yep. if you're into that, yeah. like, fair play to you. I, I, it's not for me. I don't like being cold. I don't know really why I went mm. to Mount Everest. Um, <laughs> I think for for attention, we did it for attention. Remember? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I it's absolutely, and I hear amazing things about it. Mm. People say it, it triggers something in your brain. It's, it's, it is it's special. supposed to be amazing. I get it. I just don't want to do it. Stop trying to make me do it. And also, can I just say this? Stop turning up for the school run or for the Saturday morning football in your dry robe. All right, we get it. Oh We've all God, been in a pond. Dry robe. Well done. The you, dry you, robe. Just, just put a jump It's like a like badge of honour. Dry so robe expensive. and a coffee. They're they like, are they're so like coffee. They're 160 quid. But then, it, but then it, it, see the socioeconomic thing I'm talking about. Yeah. Like, dry robe, dry robe. It's like, yeah, you're open. Mm, yeah. I don't like these subcultures that are created through something that should be so accessible and free. Mm. It's like an elitism, which I hate. And that's what I hate about sport. Sport is one thing that should not be elite it's like yeah dry robe I'm like I have one I, I rarely wear it because I feel really self-conscious that I'm one of those wankers it's I mean I, I would certainly never do the school running my gym gear or my running gear Helen would you no like, no, no you would never do that no, no. I, I hate wearing leggings <laughs> nobody needs that. to know about my running oh, no oh, go on do <laughs> Um, so, so going back to, it'd be great to hear a little bit more about your experiences um, growing up. Here. Yeah, sure, um, sure, sure. We came to Niger- uh, we came to England in 1990. So my family, like, we were kind of travellers, really. Like, so grew up in Nigeria, where we lived in France for a little bit because my dad was studying in France, um, and we came back to Nigeria. Then we ended up moving to Birmingham, and now my parents live in America. Funny enough. 
I was a middle-class Nigerian kid. Like, my dad was training to be a doctor. My mum's a nurse. Um, had a lovely little bungalow in Nigeria. And, you know, dog, the lot, like, mango tree at the back. It was pretty idyllic. And all our neighbours were middle-class Nigerian people. Um, my mum comes from a very middle-class Nigerian family. Like, my granddad was, like, um, before he died, it was, like, the leader of the Methodist Church in Nigeria. So you go to my mum's house um, in Nigeria. It's, like, a massive mansion with, like, I don't know how many bedrooms. They'd have a chapel in the middle of it. And, like, there'd be pictures of my granddad with, like, Pope John Paul in the Vatican and stuff like wow. that. So mm. that's, like, the life we came from. I wouldn't say materially wealthy, but culturally rich right um and coming to england was like so different mm. because like we came and my dad asked my dad finish his studies like we obviously applied to stay a bit longer because um one of the reasons we left nigeria as well is that like we got robbed heavily one night and they had us all on our knees like a bunch of guys ready to like kill our family like, oh my like God. yeah no, no it's kind of deep actually and yeah, I've had therapy since. It's great, you know, having to talk about it and actually having to live through that. Um, so I think there was no reason for my dad wanting to take us back, really. It was like, look, you know, my, my dad's, you know, brains had brought us here. He was like, can we get a better life for our family? Mm. Um, as well as, you know, my dad's so bright. He was actually brought over to do some research into the meningitis vaccine in the 90s. Um, so Incredible. because there was a massive epidemic in the 90s. So he came up to do some research. I was hopefully going to take it back to Nigeria, but we obviously decided to stay. So, you know, we came here. and But I, I guess for us, we had to start again. And I... I still haven't spoken to my parents about how tough that was because you come from a, a really middle-class environment and then you come to Britain and then you're put in a council house um, and it just changes the way you, you view yourself as, as an individual. But secondly, you see where you're, I guess it's really odd to say this, where you're ranked in British society. Mm. Um, we talk about classism in, in Britain. We talk about the class system in Britain. Like, even in that, in that space, my dad's or my parents' sort of Nigerian you know like education which is a british education really because nigeria is a british colony wasn't taken as seriously over here my mom was we were grateful that my mom's a nurse um so there was a huge shortage of nurses at the time so she worked in the nhs through and through my dad really struggled to get work to the point where he could only work in a petrol station and you know if you look at the the I think Cambridge has had its first ever black sort of professor ever in its history. Like my dad was struggling to really break through academia in, in, in Britain. And I mean, I don't know what that did for his mental health. We've never really had that conversation, but it was really tough for him. So we, we, we had to start again, like from fresh. Um, and some of the houses we were putting in this country were like really, really dark, man. Like I remember because it was like four kids at the time who we were put in this house in, in, you know, a very deprived part of, of, of Birmingham and there was like proper mold on the walls like dark rot and like and that's where they put our family in and I'm thinking I was in Nigeria like four or five years ago like and we had like right. a yard and all this kind of stuff but in a very strange way like he gave me a really interesting insight into Britain and, and, and the different ways people permeate this country right mm. and who has and who hasn't but also how little the middle class understand about people within the working class and how tough things can be and how oppressed you can be when that is your reality day to day you know and for me it gives me a really good insight into Britain so yeah we, we, we lived in Birmingham for a while and I remember my parents sort of buying their first house um saving all their pennies we I think we'd been here for about 10 years and they finally were like you know the middle class ideals drove them to be able to sort of buy a house saved everything they could and we bought um, <clears throat> a house in Birmingham and my parents not really knowing the area that well sort of just bought the house that they thought we could all live in you know it's like a four-bedroom house in probably not the, the poshest part of Birmingham it was a sort of 
upper working class, if that's worth putting it. It was just verging on middle class, but it wasn't really like a lot of British flags, you know, St. George's flags still on the walls, on the, on the houses. And we didn't really know what that meant. Mm. And we bought this house. And the first day we'd moved in, the National Front spray painted <gasps> our door. <gasps> They told us to get the hell out. And this was the landscape we grew up in in Birmingham, like, you know. And this is like the 90s. Yeah, I mean, and this is coming up to 2000. Like, this, yeah, it's not Jesus that long ago. Christ. 20 years or so ago, like, it's not that long ago. That's not that long ago. No, no. and you, you, you go, and I didn't know this story until, like, we were a bit older. I'd gone to university and stuff, and my dad was like, oh, yeah, I had to get up in the middle of the night and, and, and rub it off, like, just to just to make sure you guys didn't see it when you got up. Oh. But my parents were in, had invested in this house. This is the area we grew up in. And, you know, we were going clubbing, coming back home. I'm like, I, and look at it back now. My parents just never went to sleep. Like, they wanted us to be, like, normal kids and try and integrate and all that kind of stuff. But, you know... Every time I'd come come back home from Clover, my dad would be waiting up. I'd be like, why are you waiting up? Like, go to bed. And they were just afraid for us. Yeah. Like, that, you know, they'd put us, you know, out of no fault of their own in this situation, right? Like, and this was the neighbourhood. Like, no, we spoke to a few neighbours, but everyone sort of kept themselves to themselves. And I'd always wondered, like, why? And <clears throat> this was the reason. It was like that part of Birmingham, Wheelie Castle at the time, was like a real hub for the National Front. You know, I went back a, a few years later and I did a doc- documentary when I started doing sort of TV and this is what really baffled me is that my parents had managed to save a lot of their shit that came towards our family away from, that shielded us, shielded it away from us as, a, as kids. And then I do this documentary and it's seen and I get all these like emails from people in the neighborhood going, your family had it so hard, you know, it's a shame what happened to your family, blah, blah. And I'm like, so you were watching it happen and none of you, none of you, you know, you call yourselves, you know, multicultured, you call yourselves all this kind of stuff and none of you did anything to help or really safeguard our family. Um, you were just watching, peering through the window, watching it happen. I was like, damn man, that's not community for me. Like, and But then I look at it the weird thing about this country sometimes is that, as I said earlier, like the working class are sort of clumped into the same space. And then you have a, a, a further sort of interesting mix of that is that when immigrants come to the UK, they're clumped into the same space as the working class. So you get this fight of privilege. Mm. This is our country, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, the reason my family's here, let's not forget, is that Nigeria was part of the British Empire <laughs> for yeah. so long. So I'm coming to Britain thinking, all right, yeah. like You I'm, guys came over to you my You guys country. came over to my country. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My country didn't exist pre-1800. Yeah. Like, it actually didn't exist as a country. It's It was a British country. And that's what... Why do you speak English so us? Because... It's my second language, you know. Because you made people. You made you people. Made my ancestors. Yeah, like, you know, I actually have no thought of, I can't remember most of my history, but I know all of yours. Yeah. So that that's the hard thing about it is that, like, you know, most um, minority groups are within the British working class. And you also, you already have a disenfranchised disenfranchised group of people who are still trying to navigate how they exist within uh, the British world um, and then you have a, another issue where you've got a lot of potentially entrepreneurial um, people who've come from abroad as I said I'm a Nigerian middle class man so mentally of course my parents want me to go to university of course my parents want to buy their first home of course they want to do all these things because that's what's afforded to them mm. um, mentally that's that's what they aspire to do and also without being rude I didn't know I was black till I came to Britain because I was surrounded by black people who were yeah. lawyers doctors all that kind of stuff yeah you just called each other people you just called each other people <laughs> yeah. but also i had examples of people that i could watch on the tv that i 
could mm. see day to day that were doing incredible things. And then I come here and it's like, what, what, why are people just limited to music and sport? Like, I don't, and, and why is it when I'm watching the news, it's that people that look like me are the ones that yeah. are mogging people and stuff like that. I mean, you're a Londoner, you know the rhetoric around what was going on in London for so many years, or the British media for so many years around ethnic minorities. And that othering of people is, you know, became really damaging to me. So for me, my career has been about, that's why I did the swim. That's why I did Blue Peter. I was like the first black guy to ever host Blue Peter. It was about reshaping the way we see people that look like me in media and actually just normalising the fact that anyone has a seat on this table. Navigating it is where the bigger conversation's happening. Um, how do you permeate different spaces? But visually, when you start having those kind of things, it spawns on actors, it spawns on graphic designers, it spawns on architects. And hopefully... That's part of the rhetoric we're trying to trying to do here with all the things that I'm trying to create. Yeah, it's such a huge challenge to do that as well because I feel like yeah, obviously representation is important for all the reasons mm. you've just said. But then on the other sort of side, you've got then you've got people like the government, the people in power, stoking these fires and pitting these groups of people against each mm. other, trying to create division because that serves the people in power. It's a tough one when you when you sort of watch it and you you sort of see it and you you ask yourself like of what purpose is that because. You know, I guess we're given this idea that we can all do and achieve anything, right? But it, it, this is not a meritocracy. It's such a myth, I think. Yeah, yeah. It's, it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like a meritocracy. I don't think enough people are given the codes on how to climb um, or try how to um, move up in the world, and it's those codes are really key. And those codes are afforded to people who have had private education. Those codes are afforded to people who are lucky to have a, a, a good network. I keep saying, like, you're only as liberal or as diverse as your bubble allows you to be. So we can all be in these bubbles thinking, no, you can do it. We can get there. Mm. Because that's probably what your bubble of, you know, network or influence allows you to think. Then you talk to a, a young man who's grown up in an estate or a young woman or a, a young trans person who's trying to permeate this world, mm. you know, and they're sitting in their offices or whatever um, or their places of work thinking, I don't feel welcome here, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I don't know if how, long, how much longer I can last here. Whereas the boss is like, if you work hard, you'll make, you'll get your raise, blah, blah, blah. But deep down inside, you're like, nah, man, I'm, this isn't for me, man. I'm getting the hell out of here. I'm not sure about this because whoever is in that position of power has allowed themselves a bubble of influence and created a bubble around them that enforces all their beliefs so it's very hard to then look at the starters and the juniors and go yeah you know that that the reason they're not working is because they're not working hard enough and you're like no the reason they might not be working hard enough is because the culture here is a bit toxic also they're looking around thinking who can I connect with here? Like, you know, who, who, who understands my story? Who understands my vibe? Like, that's part of the job. That's part of the issue. So, you know, on the flip side, one of the things we try and do with our business, cultural intelligence, um, cultural agility sessions, is that we try and reshape um, workplace culture. Because it's up to the leaders mm. to reshape workplace culture. It's up to the leaders to set the culture or create the culture. And actually, unless the, the, the leader or the CEO or whatever really understands themselves properly, understands their privilege, how they permeate the world, all those kind of things, then you won't have an office that has that. Let me tell you something. Like I came into the BBC uh, God, so many years ago in 2006, right, on a diversity scheme. And here we are. 20 odd years later sitting in Helen's kitchen how far have we come in 20 years still still feels at the epicenter at the forefront of everything we're talking about so it's it's really tricky because what ha what's happened is 
a lot of people that have the money for diversity are upper middle class people. So unless they've really done that work themselves, unless they've really understood their history, unless they've really understood how they permeate the world and what that privilege looks like, then those schemes are short lived. They're well-meaning, but they're not really going to make the impact you really want them to make. But also, if you say, just because you're an advocate for women's rights doesn't mean you're not culturally uh, biased in the people you bring into those spaces, right? So if you say, like, yeah, I'm a big feminist, advocate for women's rights, and then you look at your circle and all all your leader friends are all white, then you you, you love women's rights, but you're talking about white women's rights, realistically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there was a, something put up yesterday um, on my LinkedIn, and... It was by a CEO of a big channel. And they were like, women, we've come so far. And it was like the head of women in advertising. And none of them look like me. And I'm like, but you've not really addressed the fact that you're talking about women that look like yourself. Yeah. But I tell you, I bet all those people in that photograph are amazing open water swimmers. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not discount that. that. I'm sure it's part of them daily routine. But no, it's really interesting. Can I say it? I think I'll convert you. You just need to come swimming with me. I'll make sure you get into that. Are you going to pay for the £11? Thank you very much. No, no, no. we're going to the ponds, man. Oh, go to the ponds. Ponds. That's free. We can go there. I really have to leave Southeast. Why would you do that? This is also very true. This is very very true. Keston Ponds, actually. That's not too far. Did people swim in that one? I used to when I was a child, but again, when I was a child in the 80s, like, entertainment was a different thing. Do you know what I mean? There was lots to do. It felt like anything was entertaining. I've also got this thing about swimming in ponds and sharing it with ducks and stuff. I'm not into (laughs) that. Yeah, no, no, they have a they have an annual swim there, like as the surface. Wait a minute, do you want to bring back segregated water, but for ducks? Because I don't. Yeah, I mean, my cultural intelligence for ducks needs to be sort of brought back in. Let's workshop it. Yeah, but I mean, you practice quacking. I mean, so just say a quick quack and sort of run around. Give a few instructions and they sort of disappear and go, yeah, totally they, allowed. They just you give know, you the nod. Look, I'm coming into their world. It's good to really build that cultural intelligence up. But movement for the body is really, really key. It's just really important. But in terms of mood changing as well, like I, I feel like so many of us deal with so much. And there's something about movement and the body that kind of raises some sort of endorphins or going out and seeing stuff. Nature is really important to me. And even just a walk for 10, 15 minutes, if you're close enough to a park, is really, really interesting just to sit, look, understand stand listen to the birds all that kind of stuff it's less about the working out but more about the experience for me mm. and that's what i love and that's why i love the open water swimming it's more about the experience than actually the the, the the swim itself i love it like just laying back and like looking up and seeing this i love it man it's really Going, nice oh i'm gonna get a world record <laughs> oh, how far amazing. how long can i lie on my back my lazy ass oh. in a port in, in yeah. you know in the open in the open sea honestly amazing amazing Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Well, look, there we go. It's, it's time now, of course, for the Scummy Mummy Confessions. Who wants to go first, team? Uh, you go first, Adam. All right. I, I've been dating a Spanish man. Hey, hey, hey. Teaching you a bit of a, a, a Spaniole? Yes, exactly. Right, hey, hey, hey. Anyway, I'm Olay, so Olay, you're so British. Olay, olay, mate. That's all the Spanish I know. <laughs> Is that what you said on your first date? Yeah. Olay, olay, yeah. son. Olay, olay. Olay. Show me your chorizo. Yeah. Oh, got any pigeonia? <laughs> yeah, lovely. Keep going. Um, so I've been doing my Duolingo every day. Nice. Everybody knows because it's logged into our joint mm. joint email account. And I, I was practicing some of my Spanish on my my lovely fellow on the weekend, and he said, "Helen, just just say things as you would say them." I was like, I was like, um, like yo quiero un hamburguesa, mm-hmm. and he said, "You don't say. How would you say hamburger?" I was like, "Hamburger." He said, "Just say." Hamburguesa. I was like, ah. oh yeah. So I've been, I've been speaking like, like they you do. do the you accent. Know, you, you do the like, accent. I sounded like an Italian accent. I know. That's and a fucking and Mario. Like, and he said, it's um, a me, Helen. <laughs> he was so sweet. He said, um, when I go home to take you home to meet my family, mm. you know, don't do, speak. Don't... <laughs> They're going to worry about you if you speak like <laughs> This is the moment the whole family just speaks English to you. It's hard, man, but like it will come. It will yeah, come. It will like, come. Yeah, keep going, keep going. And also, um, kudos. Yeah, trying, trying, trying. Anyway, there, there, there's, there's, there's some scummy and there's some. Anyway, there, there, there I am. Um, you're, you go now, Aya. Come oh, on. Oh, do I you know, actually, I, so um, I've, I've obviously painted this like really interesting picture of myself but I'm also a complete klutz man like I, I genuinely I do some really dumb stuff now I remember like a, a few years ago I was in LA I was trying to like have some meetings all this kind of stuff and I was single at the time and obviously like on tinder or whatnot and I, I remember going to this meeting and genuinely like it was the weirdest meeting ever I was trying to connect with like this director and all this kind of stuff and I walked into the office and she was there just sitting by herself with a dog. I was just like, okay, this is like you're either a Bond villain or this is like the weirdest meeting. She's like, come in, come in, shut the door. I was like, okay, this is interesting. So she sort of sat me down in a chair in the the far corner and she sort of comes to sort of sit next to me. She's like, hi, how are you doing? So we talk about why I'm in LA, who I'm connecting with, all this kind of stuff. And she went, you know, many uh, beautiful English men that come into LA. I was like, oh, okay. Okay, this is going interesting. Um, I'm not here for that, but let's keep talking. Uh, And then the dog sort of toodles along to me and she goes, oh, he doesn't just lick anyone. Oh, fuck me. This is completely going the other way. So I was just like, right, hmm. She's like, yeah, um, if you want to hang out, like, sure, like, let's let's hang out. Like, we can meet before you go back, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I can't come back here, man. Fuck me. Like, and I had a, I had a, someone who was looking after me, like an agent at the time who was looking after me in LA. So 
I get back home and she, I got an email from her saying, how did the meeting with blah, blah, blah go? I was like, look, yeah, like, welcome to Hollywood, dot, dot, dot. This is what it's all about. This is insane. This is what she did. I kind of find it a bit weird, kind of freaky. But hey, I guess this is what you got to do to get a job in Hollywood. Send. I got an email back from the director saying, I don't think you should have sent that to me. <gasps> happened oh. in my ADHD head I'd opened up an email just to be polite and be like do you know what don't need to connect all good really Lovely nice to, to meet, meet you. you but really I had busy. it I had it in my head that I need to email my agent and I literally oh, said it because oh, I'd seen it in my in oh, my no. inbox oh, on the no. side oh, no. I'd read it and I was just like oh fuck and that's why you're not the new thought <laughs> <laughs> see you later baby here today gone tomorrow hey, hey, hey. shit yeah, yeah. I mean, that is my rather embarrassing story. Oh. But hey, we live and learn. Is that the dream, though, Hollywood? Is that the ultimate IO? No, IO I, I don't know. I don't know what the dream looks like. Uh, do you know what? Um, I'm like yourselves. I don't believe you can be... You'd have to be just one thing. Yeah. I believe you can be anything. Mm. Um, and I just want to keep so many options open. Like, obviously, I'm a TV presenter. I do sport. You know, I did the Winter Olympics. I did the Commonwealth Games. I do a lot of football now and have made that transition from you know, kids TV to, I guess, quote unquote, adult TV. But for me, like, I, it's limitless for me. I realise that I'm an intelligent guy. Uh, I'm well-travelled. I, I know quite a few people. And actually, before I die, I want to taste a lot of things. So why not? You know, so if it's Hollywood, it's Hollywood. If it's not, it's not. And the reason they hit the Hollywood came is because my parents live in the States. So, and they're getting older. So I want to be a bit closer to them. And I was just trying to figure out how I get work out there, really. And just try and understand the landscape, if I'm honest. It's tricky. I don't know if it's for me. I like Europe. I want to go elsewhere, yeah. you know, like, um, but if I can dip my toe in there. Yeah, who knows? Let's but if, you, if they're living in Florida, you can always pop a Mickey costume. I'm guessing your criminal records check. I'm pretty good so far. <laughs> Just ask that director, right? Ask the director. What about you? What you got? What you got? Uh, yesterday, we had some friends round for lunch. Uh-huh. Very nice. My little son, Joe, he wanted to make a chocolate cake. And uh, I was like, okay, fine. Because uh, that means we can do an activity that feels worthy without leaving the house, which is something I always really enjoy. Yeah. And so we made this chocolate cake and then the friends were around and I was like, oh, he made it himself. I'm so proud of him. And then I looked over and he'd lift, we had a cover on it and he'd lifted up the cover and he was just licking the oh side God. of the chocolate cake. <laughs> oh we were about to serve Oh them. my God. Oh my like, God. I'm so sorry. What did you do? Uh, just, you just laughed. At <laughs> Gave him that bit. Was licking it like a cat with a tube oh of butter. God. Just like, eh. Oh my God. Well trained. Yeah. He's, listen, he plays by his own rules, that child. What can I say? Uh, and then he did away in the garden, which is a lovely oh, new really thing. Nice. Just, just hey, feral. Him. Sounds feral. Yeah, I love that. Let feral. him do what he needs to do. Yeah. I mean, if he, you know, if he feels safe, if he feels safe around you and allowed to do that. It's really about the it. continuation of the brand I have for us at this point. Uh, <laughs> ten years, you know, it's about sustainability. The, the long tail. Yeah. Uh, oh well, everything there we is, go. Everything is content. Time for some tedious admin. Mm. We're on tour. We're always on tour. If you go to scummymummies.com, you can see where we're on tour. We're going to Birmingham, actually. That's my ends. That's my ends. What's, what's, what's your favourite rep? curry house in Birmingham? Oh, it's actually the Balti Triangle called Abdul's. Insane. If you go Balti Triangle, it is Balti the one. Triangle yeah. Abdul's. All right, I'm going to write that down. Oh yeah, we're going up and down the country. We're going to Cambridge, Bath. We're going to Leamington Spa, Corby, Harrogate, Leatherhead, Middlesbrough, Chelmsford, Cambridge. If it said that one, Banbury, Worthing, Barnsley, Bath, Stroud, 
Have we announced Cat for Jet? We haven't announced no. it. No. So, but we will see. We will. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Anyway, you get the idea. What about you, Io? Where can people find you and follow your socials? Um, Io Kimmelary um, on on social media. Follow me. Come say hello. And obviously on all social media networks as well. Like um, I'm just getting ready to have a nice holiday. We've got quite a couple of productions coming out for our production company. Fingers crossed. Um, some just waiting to be greenlit. Um, it's looking like a, a really interesting documentary. I'm um, going back to Nigeria from my side anyway. So we'll see. Awesome. I think that's it, Helen. Yeah. I think so. You've been a fucking delight. Oh, Thank on, you so, Thanks so much. much. For having me. No, it's brilliant. And, it's a joy. Um, and uh, yeah, watch this space. Yeah, yeah. Let's keep going, Mum. Let's keep going. Let's see what happens this time next year. It should be quite fascinating. And next time you come on the podcast, maybe you'll have a second uh, world record. Who knows? No, nah, man. I'm done with world records now. Sure, you are. Leave it to you. Leave it to you. Leave it to the professionals. Practice my swimming. I'm going to swim the uh, the uh, deepest. Uh, yes. Yeah. In your dry, in your dry robe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a middle aged woman. Don't get changing. <laughs> Just be you. <laughs> Until next time. Bye bye. Uh, my other scummy mummy's confession is that before uh, you arrived, I put the dirty dishes in my oven. <laughs> Don't open the oven. Hey, you, you, you've, you've had a busy morning. Go on, is it in there? Don't do it. No, no, is it in there? Is no, it? No, just it's just some dirty, dirty. Oh. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. Don't worry. Oh. Just leave it, just leave it. Don't look. <laughs> I just, I just used like eighteen pots last night, so I got through most of it, and then you were just about to arrive. I was like, oh. Just, oh. Do you know what? I don't judge, man. You do you. All right. I, I mean, Externally, we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're a space of sharing. We're a space of sharing. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.